everyone. Duncan Fletcher here, back for another segment of the PADS Athlete Development Podcast Series. Our next guest currently serves as a professor in the Department of Sport Management at the University of Florida. He also serves the university as a faculty athletics representative to the NCAA and SEC. He conducts cutting-edge research on athlete development and founded the Laboratory for Athlete Development Research at the University of Florida. The LADR aims to be a catalyst in bringing together interdisciplinary researchers to generate and disseminate knowledge that advances insights on elite athletes, well-being, and success away from sport. He has authored or co-authored over 100 refereed journal articles and is a research fellow of the North American Society for Sport Management. This guy is a giant in the field of athlete development, and we're glad he is a friend of PADS. He recently led a PADS UF research initiative to better understand the impact of the pandemic on athlete development specialists, health, and well-being. It is a timely and interesting conversation and provides some interesting takeaways for individual practitioners and employers. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Michael Sagas. Hi, everybody. Duncan Fletcher here. Kicking off the Athlete Development Summit podcast series for 2022. Yes, we are unfortunately still under the yoke of the uh, tailing pandemic, but here we are. Uh, I'm here with my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn. Stephanie, how are you? I'm doing well. Good morning, all. Excited for another series in the 2022 Summit. Phenomenal. And our first guest, professor at the University of Florida, longtime athlete development guru, Dr. Mike Sagas. Mike, how are you doing today? Hey, Duncan, Stephanie, doing well. Good to see you both and hear you both. Look forward Excellent. to talking about some research for a change today. Well, there we go. If we were bringing in a professor from the University of Florida and we were talking about boats, it would be weird. So we're <laughs> going to talk about research. Actually, maybe in Florida. Well, no, we you're talk, in Gainesville. You're we talk a lot about education here. We talk a lot there about teaching here. But um, there we go. Yeah, we're lucky we got to do this project. It was very timely. Absolutely. So to kind of put some context around what we did here is PADS in concert with the University of Florida as the pandemic was really getting rolling. We were starting to hear feedback anecdotally from a range of different people that there is a real toll being taken by those folks who are working in the field in athlete development. They were required to do more work. They were under a lot of pressure. There was the, the home challenges. And in conversation with Dr. Segas, it became quite clear that there might be a really interesting research opportunity here. And fortunately, Mike stepped up uh, along with his colleagues at the University of Florida, and we undertook a research project to try and really understand what was going on within the athlete development industry and with athlete development specialists to understand the impact of the pandemic on their work, their lives. And in a lot of ways, we're looking at their mental health. So Mike, as you sort of thought about putting this project together and, and trying to go at it, what, what were you trying to accomplish with this research project at the end of the day? Yeah, it started out as kind of a quality of employment of the athlete development profession. And we started with the PADS, the PADS list, I guess the list of you know, 900 plus individuals that are frequently communicated with through PADS. That whole list isn't you know, indicative of all athlete development specialists. For example, I'm on the list and I'm not a, necessarily a practitioner on a day-to-day basis. So we were really looking for the practitioners within that group. And we put a, a, a large data set together that could span from everything from lifestyle um, during the pandemic, you know, were you drinking more, sleeping better, sleeping worse? family work conflict, mental health, stressors on the job, stressors away from the job, stressors from the pandemic, job insecurity, basically just scanned the, at the time, there wasn't a lot of literature, scanned the news reporting around 
work and how work is changing, evolving, and, and what's coming on the, on the horizon doesn't look great. When we conducted a study last summer, especially it was about August, uh, July and August of 21, when all this data was collected. And our goal would have been to present it at the summit live in New York City in May and uh, just kind of let it kind of a reboot. Hopefully, we didn't know where we'd be. Obviously, we were collecting this. We may have been in another wave. But this, so this was collected during Delta prior to Omicron. And uh, so a lot of uncertainty in what we should collect. So we just put a lot of constructs in there. And it's a typical quality of employment uh, type of approach. So today, we're just going to talk about the, the burnout elements and the job stress elements. Uh, there are other, There's other data. There's some. Uh, mental health stuff, maybe we can get to at the end. But so our approach was to be breadth of coverage of the quality of employment of an employee in athlete development during the pandemic. And I think that was, you know, really the objective is to understand sort of how things had shifted in the workplace, as you said. And for folks that are listening and you're going to say, well, let me look at some of the stuff that you're talking about. We will have a couple of slides that are attached to this presentation that you'll be able to look at as we're talking about it to kind of give you some context around uh, some of the data that was collected, some graphs. Uh, and whatnot that would really hopefully clarify what we're what we're speaking to today. So, Mike, as you were going through this research, and you you ended up kind of breaking these folks into two predominant groups, and maybe I could get you to talk about why you ended up picking those two groups and what those groups sort of represent from your perspective. Yeah. So the pads list was our number one target, about nine hundred. Uh, we also targeted what I would call the N4A group, the NCAA Academic Service Professionals group. There's actually quite a bit of research on that group. A lot of those individuals are members of PATS, so the, their email appeared twice, and I'm surveying twice. The uh, but that that group includes athlete development specialists, student athlete development specialists, but it also includes academic advisors and learning specialists. And, you know, um, but so we were able to survey them as well to get to a point where we have 102 now. So our N is 102 for this study we're going to talk about today, and this info these infographics you mentioned are based on the 102. That's about half NCAA. I would say half EDUs and dot EDUs and half from all over the world in the PADS ecosystem, from Australia to, we've had almost all the global partners we represented there at some level, just based on the emails that obviously we de-identified, obviously the reporting, just when we saw the responses come through. Um, half, so about half and half, almost exactly of the 102 came from the, the student athlete development space um, and half from, so we didn't take the life, these are people doing life skills and student athlete development in their title. Those are the people that were retained for the study. 74 uh, women responded, so it's a majority of the 102 are women. Um, and 78% of the sample is under the age of 45, so a little bit younger. I, probably a pretty representative sample, I would think, especially in the N4A group. It's, it's probably more female than male. not just completely certain, but um, maybe just better response rates from women. They just respond to these things better. So we sent this in July, sent a reminder. We actually had incentives. Every third individual won a gift card try to incentivize people. Um, and then we did some analysis on the data that came back for this purpose, um, particularly in this case around, I guess we'll talk about now the, how we analyzed it, but it's around stress and burnout. So most of exhaustion that we were hearing about in the space and uh, the stressors at work, job stressors at work were our primary kind of independent variables that we focused on. Mike, I'd love to hear kind of from, from the survey and the findings, some of the overall themes that perhaps came out of the survey and key findings, as well as maybe what surprised you the most um, in terms of results. Yeah. Okay. So we, uh, to that point, that point about being a, a study of burnout, I know that was something we wanted to focus on at PADS as the planning committee there. 
so we took the, the burnout, it was an emotional exhaustion scale, Maslow's burnout inventory. We took a job stress inventory, seven items, ran it through a, what they call a cluster analysis and just put the two variables in and let the analysis say, how are these two related? Asked for two groups, being only 102. We could have broken it up into three or four. So it broke it up into two groups and it basically broke it into two groups. They were a high stress, high burnout group and a low stress, low burnout group. It was pretty clean and it's almost half and half. Were, um, so 56 of the 102 were what we're calling survivors. They survived the pandemic. That means they had high job stress and very high burnout. I can speak to what that is. And then the other group we called the thrivers. For some reason, our colleagues and maybe in our offices right next door didn't experience the same level of job stress and did not have emotional exhaustion, did not experience high burnout, and were going through their work. So obviously, we're, And there were huge differences. Almost on every variable we analyzed, between those two groups, if you're in the high burnout, high stress group, your work conditions were, were more challenging, more difficult. You're more likely to leave the occupation. So we can get to some of that. So, so the survivors, which is the high, high group, um, 44% of this group were experiencing high burnout. 64% were experiencing high stress. If you compare that to the thrivers, 2% of the thrivers had high burnout and only 2% that's actually one person that said they were, and that means on a five-point scale, they're above four on average on the seven points. That's very high levels of burnout, very high levels of stress. So if you were a thriver, you just didn't experience stress. And if you're in the survivor group, based on how the cluster allocated the individuals. So maybe the first one, Stephanie, if we look at the survivors, these are the the people that were struggling. There were 56, majority female, 80% of this population was women, Um, majority single, 54% were single compared to you know, 50, 45.5% were married. They were more likely compared to the other group to have an income in the middle category. So we actually asked income around seven categories and we just clustered them together. So less than 50, 50 to 100 and more than $100,000 per year in annual compensation. And again, the infographic's pretty clear on how this um, turns out. So about half of them were in that middle group compared to the other group, majority were in the high income. So we'll talk about the conditions of that. Minute. So already we're seeing some patterns. More likely to be a woman, more likely to be single, and more likely to make less income if you were in the group that was not doing well. High exhaustion, high stress group. Uh, there are actually more. The ten, there was a little small tenure difference in the organization. More likely to be in the middle uh, group, four to nine years in their organization. The other group was younger, less than three years. They were new to their occupation. Uh, a couple of major differences on outcomes. Um, this group, the survivors, those that were struggling. Were we asked this question since June first? Where have you worked predominantly from work, office? This is after vaccines came out. We had this return to work, and then there was this great resignation going on across the country. So we kind of drew the line around June one is when that's when we came back at the university. We were forced to come back. Um, majority of this group worked mostly at the office. So they said frequently or always at the office. Not the case with the other group which I'll get to in a minute, but the other group was definitely had much more flexibility in their workspace, in their workplace. And then we asked them their preference when they, after COVID, so once it's safe and this pandemic is over, majority of this group, the survivors, the strugglers group, said they really want flexibility. They want to work both from the home and office, exact opposite, what they wanted, their preference was, and what they are expected to do. So again, another reason maybe they were struggling in their work. We asked four outcomes. Life satisfaction, so that's subjective well-being, flourishing, that's psychological well-being. Uh, on this, both of them significantly different. If you were a survivor, your life satisfaction was pretty low. 23% had a high life satisfaction. Just 23% had a high life satisfaction compared to 45.5% of the other group, the thrivers. Uh, flourishing, not a big difference. Psychological well-being, both 75% in this group, and it was 85% in the other group. Um, 
were flourishing. The one that we were most interested in, I think, when we were talking about commissioning this is turnover. You know, are we going to so the great resignation was about leaving your job for another job in the same field. We saw that happening. That's moving around. But are we going to lose professionals permanently? Like, are they going to leave the occupation of, of uh, athlete development? So questions that we asked on this um, occupational turnover question is, uh, you know, and then it, I will likely leave my occupation in the, in the foreseeable future. I could see myself finding alternative, uh, you know, so th- these people are not just saying they're going to move to another, you know, from one organization to another. They're saying this, this athlete development work is just not for me. Uh, it's a, so 20%, so two out of 10 individuals in this that were in the group that was surviving through this and struggling through it indicated they wanted to uh, leave the profession. Only 2% of the other groups, so again, just one person indicated they might find another career. This career is not for them. So a huge difference. Um, and then a, just job satisfaction, that's kind of a real proxy, just how's your work. Only 44% of this group would, said they were highly satisfied, the survivor group, and it was 76%, so the majority of the other groups, the, the thrivers. Um, so th- we made some analysis in there, and you can read it in the infographic, um, basically what I said there, but the, it's kind of summarized, and then we can look maybe talk about some reasons why these were. But that, that was one of the major changes, almost in every category, Steph. So saw a difference between the two groups. And again, they weren't clustered on those outcomes. They were clustered on just stress. So just knowing their stress level and knowing their burnout level can predict a lot of downstream consequences of how you engage with your work as an athlete development specialist. It would be interesting to um, evaluate those individuals today to see where they would fall on the different scales. You know, did they seek support? Um, did levels of stress minimize? It would be interesting to compare the results of a study from when you did the initial one to today, 2022. That's yeah, a great observation because we are going to do that. The beauty of this um, project is we have their emails. So we're going to wait the one-year mark. So this August, we're going to follow up and see if they said they were going to leave. We have org turnover. We have all kinds of mental health stuff. We have org support, which hopefully we'll get to in a minute. Um, the, uh, so we are, yeah, one-year mark be longitudinal. We always say in academia, you know, our study should be perceived with caution because it cannot generalize because it's cross-sectional. These are intentions to leave, but did they actually leave? We'll be able to find out, yeah, at least at the one-year mark. Mike, when you're, when you're looking at this data, and, you know, particularly as you're looking at the survivors, I'm just curious, you know, from an academic perspective, you start thinking about the implications of what an employer is going to be dealing with in his, in his, you know, in their respective work environments with this kind of a, uh, or with this particular population. I'm just curious, what jumps to your mind in terms of concerns that, that, that would need to be addressed? Yeah, the, the flexibility, for sure. I think work has changed. Um, I know there's another, you have another um, individual on this the summit that is going to speak to this and, and more, not specific to athlete development, but John Malsek's group uh, work that he did during the pandemic could explain it. Uh, but definitely work preferences, athlete development specialists. But, you know, ironically that there's, we collected a question on Zoom fatigue and on all, all three items, it's not part of this you know, here, just this high-level study that we reported here. But the survivors had more Zoom fatigue, which was just you know, fatigue for being on, you know, trying to build rapport with athletes and your colleagues over virtual means when it's really a face-to-face business. It used to be, and now it's not. And I think the athletes have changed. You know, they're, they're, we've seen in higher ed, I, I assume that it's probably very similar to what you're seeing in athletes. We haven't seen any empirical work yet, but the students came back this year and they're learning differently. They weren't really ready to learn. They were apathetic. They were, um, 
they're entitled. They definitely wanted the flexibility. They wanted that COVID flexibility, even though during COVID, they told us the exact opposite. They didn't want the flexibility. Potentially, we'll, we'll see that with athletes as well. Like, you know, they say they didn't want the flexibility, but, um, you know, did you really want to engage in all your, your development through Zoom, all your tutoring, all your life skills development, all your um, professional, you know, financial advising and whatever the, all the, the programming, the behavior programming that we uh, provide as an athlete development specialist. That's one. The other one is, so we had this variable. It's the last slide on the uh, infographic, um, the fourth infographic around org support. So we asked this question. Actually, we have two empirical studies coming out about this too, like with with the athlete development specialists and all the academic service professionals. So it's about 450 individuals. One, we're looking at occupational turnover, leaving that profession. One, we're looking at org turnover, leaving the organization and going to another organization. So you're losing valuable employees. Either way, these occupational is more, um, more difficult to navigate. So we asked this question about org support, some of the sample questions. So since January 1st, so we collected this in July. So we said, not the whole pandemic. 2020 was ridiculous. Let's just say now and sound, when things got back to normal, things were safer. Did your organization, my organization has cared about my opinions. My organization has really cared about my well-being. Um, reverse coded. Uh, my organization has shown little concern for me, so that be they it's reverse coded. And when you look at the the data, those that were in the survivor group, only twenty percent were receiving high organizational support, and half, fifty two percent of the thrivers were getting work support. This variable is the number one mediator we're finding in our other two studies. I mentioned that we'll be submitted for publication. Is it's the biggest reason? It's not pay. We we actually ran a moderator of pay satisfaction again, not reported here in the other study has no effect whatsoever. So even though these two groups differed in their salaries, sometimes when you have different salary, you have different responsibilities as well. And maybe you have more resources, you know, more staff and other ways to maybe have more tenure, um, uh, other resources beyond just your financial resources in your pocket, more organizational resources. So support is, is it. So it's flexibility and caring about your employees. They're going to be the two main drivers of mitigating post-pandemic cost to our workforce. Really interesting. And maybe to kind of bump it back up to the thrivers, maybe we could just kind of quickly burn through some of the specifics there, as you pointed out. Um, you know, there's a couple of unique, well, you said they were different entirely across the board. Maybe we just look at some of the differences there and we can walk yeah. through. So the biggest the two that jumped out to me were they're more likely to be married. So there's maybe is some benefits. And I'd like to hear actually your, your opinion. You, you guys are both practitioners in the space. What, what, maybe what is that benefit? more likely to be married. 71% of the thrivers were married. Uh, and we, you know, in the, it was a majority single in the other group. Um, also income, I mentioned 58% making over 100,000. They had less tenure in the organization, so they're newer to the organization. And they work completely at home since June 1st. So I mean, there might've been something there that really stressed out this other group. Um, these, this group had the flexibility to work at home and not have to work at the office. Um, both actually agreed they want to work, they want the flexibility after the fact. Um, but the biggest difference was they were more likely to be married, they had higher incomes, and they received more organizational support from their organization during previous months. Again, we, we dated these back. The outcomes flourishing was like now in the last 30 days. Satisfaction was now where you feel right now. But then we looked at the, the support they were getting over the last eight to nine months and had, had and just assessed the relationships between those. Out of curiosity, Mike, did you look at sort of social isolation? Because one of the interesting things here is you're talking about like married folks and then you're talking about the single folks, but the single folks are actually, uh, the survivors are at the office. So it may be a different experience, but there's still people around you. And obviously if you're not at the office, you know, you're stuck at home with your, with your spouse 
but then you're not isolated. So I'm just no. curious, like, what was your, what we did, yeah, we asked the question on loneliness. It's not part of this, but um, we can add it potentially if you think that's interesting uh, descriptive data. So we had a, a, a seven point loneliness scale. And we also had a depression scale, like just clinical depression, just being depressed. Loneliness scale across the board on all the items. I ran the analysis just briefly this morning, just as trying to get more insights on what we might talk about. Um, but yeah, across the board, uh, the survivors had, were more lonely, for sure. So that could have been an independent variable. You know, those that were thriving came home to, like I said, someone that are married, they had a, or even they're working from home. So it's like they just left their one side of their kitchen table went to the other side. And so they were home, you know, <laughs> you weren't working at home. You were living at work instead. So it, it was, uh, it, so that definitely probably is a, it's an outcome and maybe even a cause. Yeah, maybe the loneliness could have, we can actually run that and see if there's serial mediation, you know, serial relationships between one's antecedent to the other. So, and actually more likely to be depressed too, which is interesting. Ran that just this morning. I probably should include that as well, but. That's not a good sign that have much higher depression rates. I recall early on in the pandemic having a conversation with someone who was single who said, I know we're all facing our struggles, but I'm at home and I'm having no social interaction. And I think all of us married or single, one of the things we really lacked was the external social interaction. I re- you know, giving people hugs, shaking people's hands, none of that occurred. So it, to me, it makes sense why someone would thrive if they at least had a partner at home, not that they would be, um, life would be great all the time because of the stress of the pandemic, the unknown, but at least there's that companionship. And, and also from the monetary s- standpoint, you mentioned, usually if people are tenured making more money, there is more support within their group. So everything is not on them. They're not trying to support all the athletes by themselves, do the job all alone. There is at least a staff where you know, you can kind of divide and conquer. Great observation. Agree. That's probably very, very a valid explanation for what we saw during this period. Remember, this was July, August 21. So it's not a good time for us as working professionals. We were coming back, yeah. didn't want to come back. We're in the middle of a wave that was pretty, pretty crazy. And sports was trying to come back because they had to. They had no choice. And uh, these athlete-facing practitioners are caught in the middle of that. They're actually at risk because they're, if they're working with athletes, they're they're actually interacting with individuals that may get them sick. And um, if they're not working, like I said, if they're at home, they're lonely and they're trying to do their job and they can't connect with their employee, their colleagues. So the world has changed as far as work. And I'm, I'm glad we did this um, when you guys mentioned it last year to bring this on board. It was an interesting look and maybe something that ideally pads can invest in the education and just tracking this over time because it is uh, it hit every occupation. But you know, education especially. So, but uh, you know, especially, but athlete-facing professionals. Were I saw a quote a couple of weeks ago around mental health and that just recent, just the the spikes in suicide. Maybe not spike, but just more notoriety in some very high-level athletes that are, had looked like they had it together. Obviously, are struggling and really anguish. And um, mental health in this, this individual suggested that they're leaving in droves. That was their quote. That athlete-facing professionals, particularly mental health, just don't want to do the job anymore. And, you know, I see we're an adjacent field to that, if not actually part of it on the front lines of mental health many times. So, yeah, it's tough times, tough times. Well, I think your point there on the loneliness and the, and the mental health is really compelling, particularly as an employer. If you're looking at this, realizing the, you know, the stress that your, your people are under, uh, particularly when you're talking about your, 
you know, for lack of a better term, sort of those middle management or those forward facing folks that are kind of at the brunt of it, it is a real challenge. And I guess as you're looking at this data uh, from from that sort of loneliness and mental health perspective, I mean, very clearly action is going to need to be taken by uh, organizations to get ahead of this in some way, shape or form is my initial reaction. And I don't know how you feel about it, but that seems to be um, a logical step in, in that there needs to be more of a focus, not only on the athletes, but also on the folks who are, like you said, at the front lines of working with them directly. Yeah. yeah. And then what does that look like? I think is the, the challenge. Of course, your, your bosses, you know, you can look at the six items of org support. If you just do those, you're going to move the needle. You know, a large percent of, a, of, of these outcomes can be shaped if you're just more supportive, but outside of that. So, you know, mental health counseling, I know like the state of Florida or where I work, it was allowed to be telehealth. Like, just so say you're going to go see someone and talk about the stressors and how to deal with stress at home and work. Uh, you know, it's virtual, which is even worse. <laughs> just, just when yeah. you need some physical contact, more is, does your insurance cover it or not? You know, is it if it's virtual, if it's telehealth, it's not covered. If it isn't, it it is. And it, you know, I mean, so there's some there are structural institutional changes that could happen. Is that going to solve the problem? No. Is it going to help people cope? Yes. Um, you know, we even asked, we had asked other questions. Did you, you know, are you drinking more? Are you sleeping less? Are you exercising less? Those kind of things. Not huge differences between the groups, slight, um, but just in general, we saw an uptick in other ways of coping, maladaptive coping, which could make some of these things even worse. So, you know, adaptive coping. Confounding issues, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's anything that can mitigate those confounding effects as leaders like yourself, Duncan, in this space could definitely change the, uh, the dynamics of this. Now, again, and to Stephanie's point, let's collect the data again and let's see. So maybe this was a state; it, it mitigated on its own, and we saw turnover, you know, come back to a normal rate. Of course, we're going to have some turnover. It's healthy. Right. People, you know, grow and they want to try something else, and that's fine. Um, but I mean, to see that big of a difference just based on two variables is pretty dramatic. If it was stress and burnout, you were really struggling through this pandemic. And like I said, that's fascinating, and I'm. I'm feel super uh, fortunate that we were able to do this and to kind of provide this snapshot. You know, ideally, we would have been able to share it sooner and, and share it in person and have a, a, a better conversation around it. But I think what it's done is it allows us to get this information out to our, our global partners, share this with our athlete development specialists so that they understand that there has been an impact on them, you know, that they've taken by the pandemic. I know they probably know that, but hopefully they realize that they're not alone. There was broad, you know, based impacts and, and you know, hopefully we can advocate for some changes in terms of how people approach uh, these these particular issues. I guess the last question I have for you, Mike, is there anything else that sort of jumped out of this? I mean, obviously, there's a lot here. And like you said, you kind of had a, a lot of indexes that you're utilizing to capture data. Is there anything else that sort of jumped out to you or jumped out at you from the data that maybe you didn't anticipate uh, as uh, you were going through it? Yeah, the, the magnitude of the differences definitely jumped yeah. out at me. Uh, that it was just that explanatory. I mean, the, the effect sizes, what we call effect sizes, just like the, just how, not, they're, they're different, it's different, but just as how much two variables can explain in outcomes um, was uh, uh, fascinating uh, to me. And then the, this, the one idea about marital status, I didn't see that coming. I didn't realize that could be such, a, and I think Stephanie's point about just being, having someone there to talk to. Um, we have some, we have kids data. There could be some intersectionality there around, Work family. We have actually family work conflict, work family conflict. So a lot more data to get to in this. Um, but this grew able to, the, not all of them had children, 
under the age of 18. So we'd have got down in the 50s, and not, not worth analyzing, but a larger data set we do. So, um, quite a bit, Duncan. A lot of it was just not, we didn't know what to expect. You can run, you know, you just throw two variables together, tell the computer, you ask the computer, hey, how are these related? And it comes back with just very clear delineations. And this was high, high. And then you say, well, what does high, high look like? And it looks exactly the same. It's across the board, just a dramatic difference in how you approach work just by two variables, your job stress on the job and your emotional exhaustion on the job. And obviously, we look forward to having that further conversation around burnout and how that impacts employees and how that impacts your performance at work with uh, uh, a future athlete. Development Summit podcast with uh, John Mailsick, which will be coming down the pike. So I urge anyone that's listened to this one that hasn't listened to that to dive into that. Uh, Stephanie, any other questions from you? I just wanted to say thank you for doing this. I think it's extremely beneficial for all of us in this space to reflect on kind of that time period and hopefully with this information, ensure if things like this happen again, there's resources in place to help with, with that burnout. Yeah. So we look forward to continuing to do it. It's uh, it's good training for our students and it's just really interesting. And um, hopefully, uh, I hope there's a lot of groups looking at uh, athlete facing, higher ed, student facing groups because things have changed. So I right, thanks, Stephanie. We were uh, lucky to let to you let us do it because we found some really interesting differences nah, here. That we're we're lucky that we continue to have a, a phenomenal partnership with uh, the University of Florida and, and, uh, well, and myself, Mike. So glad we were able to do this research. Uh, looking forward to continue to disseminate it amongst our, our global partners and obviously our athlete development specialists uh, worldwide. And hopefully they can take this data and do something uh, useful and productive and it informs their decision making. So uh, we want to keep this one high and tight. Uh, Mike, thank you a ton for jumping on the, uh, the the podcast with us today. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to share. And again, thanks to our global partners. Questions. Thanks to Stephanie. And we will wrap it up. Talk to you soon, everybody. Mm-hmm.